Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. On the landing outside the drawing room, Gabriel found his wife and Mary Jane trying to persuade Miss Ivers to stay for supper. But Miss Ivers, who had put on her hat and was buttoning her cloak, would not stay. She did not feel in the least hungry, and she had already overstayed her time. But only for ten minutes, Molly, said Mrs. Conroy. That won't delay you. To take a pick itself, said Mary Jane. After all, you're dancing. I really couldn't, said Miss Ivers. I'm afraid you didn't enjoy yourself at all, said Mary Jane hopelessly. Ever so much, I assure you, said Miss Ivers. But you really must let me run off now. But how can you get home, asked Mrs. Conroy. Oh, it's only two steps up the quay. Gabriel hesitated a moment and said, If you will allow me, Miss Ivers, I'll see you home if you are really obliged to go. But Miss Ivers broke away from them. I won't hear of it, she cried. For goodness sake, go into your suppers and don't mind me. I'm quite well able to take care of myself. Well, you're the comical girl, Molly, said Mrs. Conroy, frankly. Bannockliffe, cried Miss Ivers with a laugh as she ran down the staircase. Mary Jane gazed after her, a moody, puzzled expression on her face while Mrs. Conroy leaned over the banisters to listen for the hall door. Gabriel asked himself, was he the cause of her abrupt departure? But she did not seem to be in ill humour. She'd gone away laughing. He stared blankly down the staircase. At the moment, Aunt Kate came toddling out of the supper room, almost wringing her hands in despair. Where is Gabriel? she cried. Where on earth is Gabriel? There's everyone waiting in there, staged to let, and nobody to carve the goose. Here I am, Aunt Kate, cried Gabriel with sudden animation, ready to carve a flock of geese if necessary. A fat brown goose lay at one end of the table, and at the other end, on a bed of creased paper strewn with sprigs of parsley, lay a great ham, stripped of its outer skin and peppered over with crust crumbs, a neat paper frill round its shin, and beside this was a round of spiced beef. Between these rival ends ran parallel lines of side dishes, two little minsters of jelly, red and yellow, a shallow dish full of blocks of blancmange and red jam, a large green leaf-shaped dish with a stalk-shaped handle on which lay bunches of purple raisins and peeled almonds, a companion dish on which lay a solid rectangle of Smyrna figs, a dish of custard topped with grated nutmeg, a small bowl full of chocolates and sweets wrapped in gold and silver papers and a glass vase in which stood some tall celery stalks. In the centre of the table there stood, as sentries to a fruit stand which upheld a pyramid of oranges and American apples, two squat old-fashioned decanters of cut glass, one containing port and the other dark sherry. On the closed square piano, a pudding in a huge yellow dish lay in waiting, and behind it were three squads of bottles of stout and ale and minerals, drawn up according to the colours of their uniforms, the first two black with brown and red labels, the third and smallest squad white with transverse green sashes. Gabriel took his seat boldly at the head of the table, and having looked to the edge of the carver, plunged his fork firmly into the goose. He felt quite at ease now, for he was an expert carver and liked nothing better than to find himself at the head of a well-laden table. "'Miss Furlong, what shall I send you?' he asked. "'A wing or a slice of the breast?' "'Just a small slice of the breast.' "'Miss Higgins, what for you?' "'Oh, anything at all, Mr. Conroy.' 
While Gabriel and Miss Daly exchanged plates of goose and plates of ham and spiced beef, Lily went from guest to guest with a dish of hot, floury potatoes wrapped in a white napkin. This was Mary Jane's idea, and she had also suggested apple sauce for the goose. But Aunt Kate had said that plain roast goose without any apple sauce had always been good enough for her, and she hoped she might never eat worse. Mary Jane waited on her pupils and saw that they got the best slices, and Aunt Kate and Aunt Julia opened and carried across from the piano bottles of stout and ale for the gentlemen and bottles of minerals for the ladies. There was a great deal of confusion and laughter and noise, the noise of orders and counter-orders, of knives and forks, of corks and glass stoppers. Gabriel began to carve second helpings as soon as he had finished the first round without serving himself. Everyone protested loudly so that he compromised by taking a long draught of stout, for he had found the carving hot work. Mary Jane settled down quietly to her supper. But Aunt Kate and Aunt Julie were still toddling round the table, walking on each other's heels, getting in each other's way and giving each other unheeded orders. Mr. Brown begged of them to sit down and eat their suppers, and so did Gabriel, but they said there was time enough, so that at last Freddie Mallins stood up and, capturing Aunt Kate, plumped her down on her chair amid general laughter. When everyone had been well served, Gabriel said, smiling, Now, if anyone wants a little more of what vulgar people call stuffing, let him or her speak. A chorus of voices invited him to begin his own supper, and Lily came forward with three potatoes, which she had reserved for him. Very well, said Gabriel amiably, as he took another preparatory draught. Kindly forget my existence, ladies and gentlemen, for a few minutes. He set to his supper and took no part in the conversation with which the table covered Lily's removal of the plates. The subject of talk was the opera company, which was then at the Theatre Royal. Mr. Bartell Darcy, the tenor, a dark-complexioned young man with a smart moustache, praised very highly the leading contralto of the company, but Miss Furlong thought she had a rather vulgar style of production. Freddie Mallins said there was a Negro chieftain singing in the second part of the gaiety pantomime who had one of the finest tenor voices he had ever heard. Have you heard him? he asked Mr. Bartell Darcy across the table. No, answered Mr. Bartell Darcy carelessly. Because, Freddie Mallins explained, now I'd be curious to hear your opinion of him. I think he has a grand voice. It takes Teddy to find out the really good things, said Mr. Brown familiarly to the table. And why couldn't he have a voice too? asked Freddie Mallins sharply. Is it because he's only a black? Nobody answered this question, and Mary Jane led the table back to the legitimate opera. One of her pupils had given her a pass for Mignon. Of course, it's very fine, she said, but it made her think of poor Georgina Burns. Mr. Brown could go back farther still to the old Italian companies that used to come to Dublin. Tietjens, Ilma de Mosca, Campanini, the great Trebelli Giolini, Ravelli, Aramburro. Those were the days, he said, when there was something like singing to be heard in Dublin. He told, too, of how the top gallery of the old royal used to be packed night after night of how one night an Italian tenor had sung five encores to Let Me Like a Soldier Fall, introducing a high C every time, and of how the gallery boys would sometimes in their enthusiasm unyoke the horses from the carriage of some great prima donna and pull her themselves through the streets to her hotel. Why did they never play the grand old operas now? he asked. Dinora, Lucrezia Borgia, 
because they could not get the voices to sing them. That was why. Oh, well, said Mr. Bartell Darcy, I presume there are as good singers today as there were then. Where are they? asked Mr. Brown defiantly. In London. Paris. Milan, said Mr. Bartell Darcy warmly. I suppose Caruso, for example, is quite as good, if not better, than any of the men you have mentioned. Maybe so, said Mr. Brown, but I may tell you I doubt it strongly. Oh, I'd give anything to hear Caruso sing, said Mary Jane. For me, said Aunt Kate, who had been picking a bone, there was only one tenor. To please me, I mean. But I suppose none of you ever heard of him. Who was he, Miss Morkan? asked Mr. Bartell Darcy politely. His name, said Aunt Kate, was Parkinson. I heard him when he was in his prime, and I think he had then the purest tenor voice that was ever put into a man's throat. Strange, said Mr. Bartell Darcy. I never even heard of him. Yes, yes, Miss Morkan is right, said Mr. Brown. I remember hearing of old Parkinson, but he's too far back for me. A beautiful, pure, sweet, mellow English tenor, said Aunt Kate with enthusiasm. Gabriel having finished, the huge pudding was transferred to the table. The clatter of forks and spoons began again. Gabriel's wife served out spoonfuls of the pudding and passed the plates down the table. Midway down, they were held up by Mary Jane, who replenished them with raspberry or orange jelly or with blancmange and jam. The pudding was of Aunt Julia's making and she received praises for it from all quarters. She herself said that it was not quite brown enough. Well, I hope, Miss Morkan, said Mr. Brown, that I'm brown enough for you because, you know, I'm all brown. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.